0: Don't let the action pass you by. Check if you're eligible for a free trial of in-car Wi-Fi at att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi. And keep the madness going. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required.
1: Did you know that most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate? But not with 80 Acres Farms. Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled. Going from farm to store in days, not weeks. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's no need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter.
2: We witnessed an ass kicking in the National Football League on Sunday afternoon. There's a lot to get into regarding that. But obviously what's on everybody else's mind is how unfair the world of sports is because Florida State was left out. Didn't they tell y'all? Fair's a place where they judge pigs. When will we ever learn it does not exist? The Stephen A. Smith Show in the house. I'll try to explain. Yet What's up, everybody? Welcome to the latest edition of The Stephen A. Smith Show, coming at you as I love to do it at least three times a week over the digital airwaves of YouTube. I'm here in my new studio, thanks to my official studio sponsor, FanDuel Sportsbook. FanDuel, the official studio sponsor of The Stephen A. Smith Show. As always, I take a moment to show my appreciation and love to my followers, who have now exceeded 419,000 subscribers over the first eight months or so. I wouldn't be here if it were not for you. I wouldn't be excelling and ascending if it was not for your support. So I sincerely thank you from the bottom of my heart, while also asking you to continue to like and follow The Stephen A. Smith Show right here on YouTube by just clicking the bell to get notified of all of our new content. And while you're doing that, make sure to pick up a copy of my New York Times best-selling book, Straight Shooter, a memoir of second chances and first takes. As usual, at the end of every show, I'll be taking calls and tweets from my listeners and viewers out there. So feel free to call in at 888-727-5303. That's 888-SAS-5303. We all know where the first order of business to go is, right? We saw the Philadelphia Eagles get stomped. That was an ass kicking by the San Francisco 49ers. We can point to the 200-plus yards that Brock Purdy threw, and the fact that he's elevated and ascended to being the leading candidate for league MVP honors. We can talk about Christian McCaffrey yet again having a touchdown. We can talk about Debo Samuels and how unbeatable the San Francisco 49ers look whenever he's in the lineup. Had three touchdowns yesterday, by the way. We can point to a defense that pretty much shut the Philadelphia Eagles down while the offense was en route to scoring on six straight possessions after starting off slow in the first quarter. Philadelphia Eagles couldn't do anything to answer that call. And what, what feeling should you walk away with? In the aftermath of a loss like this, I'm gonna tell you what that feeling is. I don't say it to you plain and simple. A lot of people don't want to admit this. I don't want them just looking around because I've got to duck the cover what I'm about to say, considering rather what I'm about to say, but here it is. Do you realize that the Philadelphia Eagles NFC Championship from last season was delegitimized Sunday afternoon. Oh, Stephen A., why would you say such a thing? Why would you say such a thing, Stephen A.? I'll tell you why I say such a thing. Because when a team shows up in an NFC Championship game looking lights out and they lose not one, not two, not three, but four quarterbacks in one season, Remember, San Francisco last year lost Trey Lance, and then they lost Jimmy Garoppolo, and then Brock Purdy shows up in the NFC Championship game and gets his elbow damaged. And then after that, Josh Johnson comes in there and he gets hurt. It got to a point where Debo Samuels and Christian McCaffrey were lining up behind center. They had no one to throw the football. And so as a result, you're the San Francisco 49ers. You know what you're thinking in your head? You know what you're thinking in your heart? We should have been there, not them. We're thinking they're fraudulent. We're thinking we're going to whip their ass when we see them. And what happened? The days leading up to the game, they chirped and talked smack to the Philadelphia Eagles. Nick Sirianni, the head coach for the Philadelphia Eagles, is showing footage of the San Francisco 49ers talking smack about his team. And the Eagles were supposed to be ready. But what happened? At the start of the game, before the game even started, when the San Francisco 49ers came out onto the football field, they marched right down the middle of the field, shoving Philadelphia Eagles players out of the way before the game started. They basically said, we coming to kick your ass. So for them to actually turn around and do it, what do you say? What do you say? You know what you say? Not a damn word. Because that's what ass kickings do to you. It shuts you down. It humbles you. Humility kicks in. And all of a sudden, it forces you to reflect what might have been in that last year's NFC Championship game, what could be in this year's playoffs. And if you're the San Francisco 49ers, why should you be taking a backseat to anybody? Your defense is elite. Your offense is potent. You got Brock Purdy looking like the second coming to Joe Montana. You got Debo Samuels doing this thing. Iuke is no joke. Christian McCaffrey's a stud. George Kittle is an elite tight end. And oh, by the way, Kyle Shanahan is arguably the elite play caller in all of football. At one point, again, San Francisco scored touchdowns on six straight possessions. Brock Purdy threw for four touchdowns, 314 yards and zero interceptions to be exact. And their defense held the Eagles to just 46 yards rushing. Swift and Gainwell and those boys combined for like 20 yards on nine carries. It's a bad day for the Philadelphia Eagles, who, by the way, have to go up against the Dallas Cowboys next. And if Dallas wins that game, they're tied at 10-3 and in the NFC East, and the Eagles will be in danger of losing the division crown, which means they'd have to go on the road come playoff time instead of being at home. And if you're the Dallas Cowboys, who's a different team on the road than they are at home, it's to your advantage. So all of a sudden, things have gotten very, very interesting in the NFC. But again, the salient point to walk away with is that in the end, we're not saying that the Eagles weren't an elite team. We're not saying they couldn't have won the Super Bowl. We're not saying that they didn't play lights out in the Super Bowl and Jalen Hurts would have been the MVP had they won. Patrick Mahomes, heroics had to come to and rescue the day. We get all of that. But in the end, before there was a Super Bowl, there was an NFC championship game. And the Eagles' opponents was the San Francisco 49ers team that was literally without a quarterback. And so for San Francisco to have a quarterback and to face you for the very first time with the same personnel they would have had in last year's NFC Championship games and to stomp you the way that they did basically gives fodder to the notion that the NFC champions were delegitimized yesterday. Think about that. Walk with me and let's move on. Because as I stand here today, and I'm gonna transition to the National Basketball Association for a second. Did you see what happened with LeBron James and Ime Udoka? On Saturday night, the Los Angeles Lakers played the Houston Rockets, winning 107-97, keeping the Rockets winless on the road at 0-8, by the way. But that was not what made the news. Rockets head coach Ime Udoka got into a verbal altercation with King James himself, LeBron James resulting in both receiving technical fouls and Yudoka being ejected from the game because that was his second technical that he had received during that game. When asked after the game what transpired between him and and LeBron James, Yudoka said, we had some conversation and they didn't like what they heard. That's how he explained his ejection. LeBron was then asked what was discussed and this is what LeBron James himself had to say.
3: Speaking of text, what were you and I talking about?
1: Uh, Thanksgiving, how much we enjoyed Thanksgiving. It
4: was very friendly. Yeah,
2: it was. We all know that LeBron's full of it with that one, but we're not going to knock him for that, because we understand he doesn't want to let everybody know, even though when you let people know, stuff like that, it contributes to the theater and the drama of the sport. So me, myself, I wish he had told us, but that's neither here nor there. No matter how entertaining that was, it wasn't more entertaining than me at my day job, first take on ESPN this morning with my man, Shannon Sharp, a.k.a. Club Shay Shay. We had to have a discussion about this drama, and look at how we got into this. You gotta step back, take back, grab a seat right now, like I'm about to do, and look at what me and Shannon Sharp got into this morning. Check it out. There was no call for that ejection. Secondly, LeBron walked over to him, and I have no problem with Emei Udoku, basically was saying, you know, stop, you know, being, you know what the word. And LeBron was like, don't, you know, don't, don't be using that word. Nah, so okay, okay. And and, and, and Eme was like, this am a grown-ass man. I use that word if I want to. I didn't call you the B-word. Yeah, I said, stop being like that. But then I you... didn't call you that. Shannon Sharp said something that I thought was very, very profound. You know when I interviewed you on, on it wasn't Club shake Shade, it was Steve but, but when I interviewed you that and, and Shannon Sharp said something to me that I, I peeled and I took it. And he was like this, you don't have to respect me. But I will not be disrespectful.
4: I won't let you do de- yeah. Right.
2: Yeah. So what I'm saying is, had he called them the B word, that's different. You said- if he's saying stop being because yo you whining about calls and stuff, that's not that's totally different. Could- Who LeBron to go over to him and tell him yo
4: you use those, you don't use those words. So like it's a grown ass man. All Bron said, bro, don't lo- use that term loosely. Come on, see, man. Me, I see. I'd have had to hit it. I see. See. You were messing with one of them and it you your relationship. stop oh, that. Stop that, stop that. Stop that. stop that, I stop, I stop, that, yeah, you nah, stop that, so What they do, when they, they do, right when they go low, I go to the basement.
2: Yeah, I go. I ain't Michelle
4: Obama. Michelle Obama say they go low, he go out. I go to the basement. I don't have to go to the But it I go But it ain't necessary
2: sometimes to go that way. Shannon's hilarious. Boy, I love working with that brother. I really, really do. He go to the basement. I'll go to the basement. And Michelle Obama said, when they go low, we go high. I go to the basement. I go to the basement. And I'll be damned if the Black Hulk wouldn't do it. He's a Black Hulk. It's legit, y'all. That's a brick house, no doubt. He will go to the basement. But the reality is, you need to have cause. If not, then pause. LeBron, who the hell is he? You gonna roll up on Emile Udoka. Emile Udoka says some stuff, to LeBron walking over him, and you saw Emile Udoka looking up and down like, "Wait a minute, what you rolling over here? Like you gonna do something for your soft ass self. now?" LeBron ain't soft. LeBron is a man amongst men. Make no mistake about it. And so that's Emile Udoka talking some smack, and we get all of that. But Emile Udoka's no punk either. Okay. In the end, no matter which way you slice it, King James is King James. But if you bitching about calls every time we turn around, and that's what Ime Udoka pointed out, it's perfectly within his right to sit up there and say that. And who is LeBron to sit up there and tell him, that's, you don't need to be losing that word so loosely. You don't need to be using that language. Who, who, who are you? you? You know, you the grammar police or something? What the hell's going on? You understand? Let, let, let's, let's go out there and handle your business, which y'all ultimately did, because Anthony Davis, this was one of his high roller coaster moments. We had 27 and 14, and that was a beautiful thing. But in the end... What it comes down to is Lakers need to win more. Houston's on the come up. They, s- they were sorry last year. Ime Udoka, although winless on the road, got them playing some good basketball. They got a chance. Ime Udoka, I will remind y'all, first season in Boston did what Brad Stevens couldn't do in seven. Took the Boston Celtics to the NBA Finals. Was two games away from winning the championship. If Steph Curry doesn't go berserk, Ime Udoka is a champion as a rookie coach. Keep that in mind. Everybody can't say that. Brother can coach. Kind of know what he's doing. Maybe he was tugging away at LeBron James. Maybe he was hitting him because he knew that was a soft spot for LeBron. I'm just saying. It's worth considering. And by the way, I don't know why the hell the referee threw him out the game for. Why? Because they talking? We really, really need to get away from God Cottonell tendencies, this softness, Cottonelle tissue paper, the attitude that we got. Let us move on to college football because the college football playoff rankings were revealed on Sunday. And as expected, there was controversy surrounding the list with some showing their displeasure of the top four teams. That would be Michigan at number one, Washington at number two, Texas at number three, and Alabama at number four. They'll all play for the championship. Florida State and Georgia are slotted just outside the four-team field in the fifth and sixth spots, even though Florida State was undefeated at 12-0. and Look, if you're Florida State, let me say this to you, because it's incredibly important. It really, really is. I have to tell you this. Look at this right here. You see this? Michigan, first things first. Florida State, if you're gonna complain about somebody, how come by not Michigan? None of these other teams were associated with a cheating scandal. Signed, stealing, and all of this other stuff. I'm not saying Michigan's guilty, I don't know. But the fact that they were associated with an investigation should have gave you cause to pause. It would be enough reason for the NCAA to omit them in years past, or for the College Football Player Committee to do that in the past. Why not now? Washington, we ain't debating that. Pac-12 last year, the Pac-12, look at the noise that they made. Texas did beat Alabama, we get all of that. They stomped Oklahoma State in the conference championship game, we get all of that. But let's talk about Alabama for a second. Did you know that Nick Saban is 11-1 in SEC title games? Did you know that? You should. Did you know that this man is the greatest coach in the history of college football? Did you know, did you know, did you know? Did you know that? Because you should. Not only that, the brothers won about 11 straight. Milroy all of a sudden looks like an all-world quarterback. And who did they beat to get there? To even have a chance, who did they have to beat? It happened to be a team who were the reigning, defending, two-time national champions that hadn't lost a game in two and a half years and had won 29 straight. Georgia was the number one team in the nation. It wasn't Florida State. It wasn't Michigan. It wasn't Washington. It wasn't Texas. It was Georgia and who knocked them off. Now, some people would sit up there and say, well, oh, Stephen A., come on, man. Come on, man, it's not fair because, you know, Florida State, I mean, damn, they went undefeated, yeah. But fair is a place where they judge pigs. It doesn't exist. And oh, by the way, just come over here with me for a second, here. because I need you to pay attention to what I'm about to say. Florida State, I'm very, very sorry. To the players, to the coaches, you deserve it. Nobody's denying that. But it ain't Alabama or anybody else's fault that you got five power conferences, okay? and only four college football player births. Now, next year increases to 12. Damn it, it should have been sooner. But let's get a step further than that. Let's make sure that we understand something incredibly important in all of this. Florida State loses their star quarterback, Jordan Travis. He goes down. Since then, you won games, particularly against Florida and Louisville, but didn't look that great doing it offensively. Defensively, you could do some things. But last year, TCU walked into a national title game against Georgia and got stomped 65 to 7. Don't think for one second that that didn't play a role in the committee making their decision. Why do I say that? Because the committee understands. We can't have back-to-back years where a national championship game is compromised because we got a backup quarterback going up against one of those teams. Where's that going to leave us? I'm sorry. We don't want to see that again. We want to see competition. We want to see two hellacious institutions and universities going up against one another. Could you imagine... If Alabama ends up having to face Texas for the national title, with Texas scheduled to move to the SEC next year, could you imagine? Could you imagine that? Lord, Lord, Lord. That's what we're talking about here. By the way, in the history of the college football players, the SEC has never been left out. You know why? Because they're the best conference in the country. Florida State knew this even after Jordan Travis went down, just like Ohio State knew it in 2014 when JT Barrett went down and Cardell Jones had to step in. What did they do against Wisconsin? They won 59 to nothing. 59 to nothing. They enter the college football playoffs and then they turn around and lo and behold, they win the national championship. Y'all struggled against Florida. Y'all struggled against Louisville. Style points, style points, style points. It shouldn't be about style points. It's always about style points. In college, it's not about style points. In in television, who do you think they put on television? Do you think they want to put on some boring team on national television? I'm talking about in any sport. It doesn't happen. See, what we don't want to face is that it all comes back to the money. You see, eyeballs equal ratings. Ratings equal revenue. Revenue equals a pot that a multitude of hands get to get stuck in or to stick their hands in. And as a result, coming up with plenty for themselves and enough to spread around. That's the real world. Florida State, Coach Norville Norville is sensational. He did a sensational job. Undefeated season, deserves all the props in the world. But I got news for you. Primetime Deion Sanders, in my opinion, who starred at Florida State, who wanted that job to begin with long before Jackson State ever came along and then ultimately Colorado. If primetime Deion Sanders had been undefeated, I promise you they wouldn't have left him out of the college football playoffs. You know why? Because sizzle matters. I don't make the rules, ladies and gentlemen. I just express them. But I'll give y'all this much to those of you out there who are complaining and whining about Florida State getting knocked out by the college football playoffs. You ain't the only one. When we return, I speak to ESPN football analyst Booger McFarlane and how he sees the rest of the college season shaking out, but more importantly, how he feels about what transpired to Florida State. Stick around, don't touch that dial. You're looking at the Stephen A. Smith Show on YouTube. Back with more in a minute. You already know how I feel, so we ain't gonna even, we don't even need to get into that right now because my guest, The person I've been aching to talk to is a two-time Super Bowl winning defensive tackle formerly with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Indianapolis Colts. He now serves as a college football and NFL analyst for the Monday Night Countdown pregame show. He's my buddy. He's a contributor to my day job first take. He's a contributor to all things ESPN. He's my brother. The one and only Booger McFarlane. What's up, Big Tom? How are you, man? Stephen A., what's going on, buddy? How we doing? I mean, first of all, it's nice to see a smile on your face. Let's get that out the way, because when I saw you after the selection committee decided not to put Florida State in the top four, I mean, I'm not going to say you were about to cry, but I will say you were utterly disgusted. I said, my Lord, he's really passionate about this. Explain yourself, Booker McFarlane. What's the problem, my man? What's the problem?
4: Well, the the reason you saw that face from me, Stephen A., because I thought it was a travesty to the sport that I cover and the sport that we all love which is college football, because you had 13 people in the room who decided that they know football better than the actual game of football itself because they said this, and, and and let's get to the crux of the issue. We can talk about best, most deserving, all those different things. But here's what they did. They decided that based on an injury to a quarterback, and I get it, quarterback is the most important position on the field. No doubt. I hear you. No problem. Let's move on. But they decided because a team didn't have a star quarterback that that team couldn't win games. And that's utterly wrong. That team already won two games without the starting quarterback. They beat Florida and they beat Louisville. How did they do it? They had a dominating defense, a defense that dominated up and down the field. So it's not about can they win because they've already won. They're 13-0. It's about how we want them to win. And we're going to project forward and say that we don't like ugly wins and we don't know if they can compete or if they can score points to the level that we want them to because, selfishly, The 13 people in the room and some people around the country, kind of like yourself, we want to be entertained. We want to see a good game on January 1. We don't want to see a blowout like we saw with TCU. And I think that's utterly wrong because you don't know how the game is going to play out. I remind you, Oregon was a 10-point favorite on Friday night over Washington and Washington won. Tulane was a favorite over SMU and SMU won. The game of football is not played in a boardroom with 13 mics and TVs and a lot of people that make a lot of money. The game of football is played on grass, Mm -hmm. and it's a bone-on-bone game. And to me, that's why I was shocked, because I've been on that field. Mm -hmm. I've been the underdog and told what I could not do. And at the end of the day, I've done it before. And I just thought those kids were wrong. And then on top of that, to read the tweet Mm -hmm. from Jordan Travis that said this, and I almost cried with this, Stephen A. Mm -hmm. He said, I wish I would have broke my leg sooner so my team could have proven they could have won without me. And that's utterly wrong, man. And so that's why you saw that face from me.
2: See, this is the thing. I understand the emotion. I understand the feeling in terms of being disappointed. Where you threw me aback was looking surprised. This is the NCAA we're talking about. That's number one. Let's, <laughs> let's get that out the way. I mean, to act yeah. like you're shocked. I mean, my God, there are a plethora of instances throughout College football history where people got holes. Now, granted, none of them were undefeated like Florida State. I'll give you that. But you're talking about Baylor. You're talking about TCU once upon a time. I just got some notes here. 2014 TCU and Baylor. 2018 Ohio State. 2017 Central Florida. This is not the first time, you know, folks have gotten holes when it comes to the college football player picture. You and I both know that. And so, to me, for you to look at it, when Alabama had the fifth, in terms of strict schedule, they were ranked fifth. Florida State was ranked 55th. Then you take into account TCU getting blown out 65 to 7 in the national championship game. The one thing I know about Booker McFarland is Booker McFarland knows something about ratings. He knows something about money. And he knows that the opportunity to have ratings facilitates you getting more money. And if you're college football, everything
4: has always been about the money. So what the hell are you surprised about? Well... You're right that the networks are concerned about money, and the networks are concerned about ratings. If that's the case, then put that in the bylaws. The bylaws say we want the four best teams. The bylaws don't say we want the four best teams that can give us ratings while we sit around and eat black-eyed peas and turnip greens and cornbread on, on uh, New Year's Day. That's not what the bylaws say. The bylaws simply say this, the four best teams based on a certain criteria. So, yeah, I'm not surprised at what the NCAA does. We know it's a, a bunch of good old boys up in Kansas City or wherever they are, making rules and trying to do different things. But this college football playoff committee is supposed to be different, and they've operated differently over the last nine years. But this year, in the 10th year, all of a sudden they want to do something differently based on what we saw, or I I don't know if I want to call it recency bias, but just what we saw on the field. Because they saw Alabama dominate the two time reigning defending national champion, as I've heard. You who were,
2: t- who were to. 29 and 0, by the way, who were 29 and 0 over two
4: and a half years. They hadn't lost the game. I get it. But the last two and a half years has no bearing on this conversation. I get it. It sounds good to say, but that has no bearing on what happened this year in 2023 in the football season. But I do understand there are humans in the room that can't forget about what you're talking about, which is them being champions. And so I just wish they would come out and say, you know what, guys, Florida State, you deserve it. Don't think that you guys can put on good, a, a good enough show against Michigan or whoever, and so we're going to keep you out. And I think that's the crux of the issue, because Florida State, 13-0, the one of a Power 5 conference, that type of resume has never, never, never been left out. But all of a sudden this year, you want to leave it out, and then you're going to blame it on an injury. You don't know how. The team or the game is going to play out. We 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 know none of that. Well, so I I think that's the biggest issue for me. Well, Booger, who are you? Who
2: do you believe should have been left out? We've got Michigan. We've got Washington. We've got Alabama. We've got Texas. Texas and Alabama, three and four, of course. Who do you think should have been left out?
4: Alabama. I think Alabama should have been left out. Yesterday. Alabama should have been left out. Absolutely, no question. No
2: Al- question. Al- the SEC champion, the number one conference in football, who Absolutely. won
4: eleven straight, who knocked off the reigning defending two-time national champions. Yeah. They should have yeah. been left out? They should have been left out. And I'm going to explain why, because I, I I know you can follow me, and you are a student of the game and a, and a student of sports. See, here's what college football is about. Okay. okay? Next year, when it goes to a 12-team playoff. Every game matters in college football. And there's this team called Texas that went to Tus- Tuscaloosa this season. Not last season, not two seasons ago. They went this season, and they beat Alabama, the mighty Alabama. Well, guess what? That team also went 12-1 and won a conference championship. And so, therefore, because of that win, for me, I had Florida State in at number three. It was going to be Michigan one, Washington two, Florida State three. And the, the decision for me was going to come down to between Texas and Alabama. And by way of that win in Tuscaloosa in September, I'm giving a nod to Texas as being the better team. Why? I saw Texas going to Tuscaloosa and beat you by 10 points. So even if Alabama beat georgia which they did i'm still not gonna put them in i already thought about this before the game even played out that way i wouldn't have a visceral emotional reaction
2: well why haven't you brought up michigan i mean alabama wasn't associated with a cheating scandal michigan was how come it can't be michigan that you're looking on that should be on the outside as opposed to alabama or
4: texas or washington here's here's what you said and it's a key word. And I love you because your thesaurus is deeper than most people in America. <laughs> you said uh, you said associated. Right. You didn't say they did it. That's You true. just said they associated. That's associated, true. alleged. I, we don't know if did they, they did it or not. Did they cheat or did, uh, or, or did they not? We don't know it. So I'm not going to punish a team for something I don't know that they did. And so therefore, that's the reason why I'm not touching Michigan. Now, you show me proof or, or, or they are sentenced based on that cheating scandal, I'll pull them out. As a matter of fact, the college football playoff committee said as long as Michigan is eligible to be ranked, we're gonna rank them. If they become ineligible, then we won't rank them. So I'm gonna do, I'm gonna follow the same bylaws as the College Football Playoff Selection Committee
2: did. What about the argument that, look at 2014, where JT Barrett goes down for Ohio State, Cardell Jones comes up in there, they stomp Wisconsin 59 to nothing, they get into the postseason, and obviously they win the national championship, okay? Now, Florida State could have done that, but they struggled against Florida, which is a mediocre team, and they struggled against Louisville, which is a good team, not a
4: great team. How about that argument? What the str- struggle, yes, won, yes. They, they, they won both of those games. And did we not see your mighty Alabama have to have a prayer against Auburn, a last second play of the game? That was a did great play, though. Against that was a great play, oh, though. Way, it, it, wasn't like some, it wasn't like Auburn. just some Hail Murray.
2: That was a great play.
4: It's Isaiah Bond catching it's, that it's pass it's in the right corner of play. the end zone. Fourth and 31 Steve. That's a prayer.
2: I, I, it didn't look like a throw. It didn't look like a prayer to me to watch Jalen Miro throw that ball <laughs> to Isaiah Bond. It look like, that looked like a bit better than a prayer. Well, let me ask you this though, Kirk Herbstreit, our colleague at ESPN. Yeah. He kept bringing up the fact that obviously head-to-head competition matters, record matters, yeah. strength of schedule matters. We all get that. But he also brought up the nugget that in those bylaws, they do highlight how player and coaches' availability matters in terms of the whole selection process. So losing Jordan Travis obviously compromised uh, Florida State to some degree because it affected, quote-unquote, style points. That Mm -hmm. obviously is something they said beforehand could potentially play a factor. It's not something that they came out of the wind with. I mean, they said it beforehand. They let you know this is some of the things that were going to play a part in the criteria. How about that argument?
4: Well, I, I think that's a really good argument, but here's what I'll say. You talk about the absence of coaches and players. Michigan played six games without Jim Harbaugh this year, and they won. They proved they could win without Jim Harbaugh. Okay. Florida State played two games without their quarterback, and they won. They proved they could win those two without their starting quarterback, Jordan Travis. But the reason we don't count those wins of Florida State, they didn't look good enough. It wasn't stylish enough. See, Stephen, you and I can both put on suits. One might be Tom Ford. One might be from Sears or J.C. Penney. No, stop They're going to look different. Okay? They're going to look different. Same Mm thing might be suits and ties, but they're going to look different. And we are, a, we are a society where we want certain things to look a certain way. It doesn't matter if both of us got on suits. We can both have on nice suits. But just because yours says Tom Ford and mine might say Sears, the look is differently, and people are going to gravitate toward you. Same thing with football. We want the offense to look good. We want the quarterback to show We want entertainment. We can... Okay, exactly. Well, you say that then.
2: But didn't they say that? Is, it, is, is that not what they're saying, Booger, when they say, excuse me, if players ain't available, that might factor into our decision making when it comes to the selection process? Is that not exactly what they say? They got to spell it out for you. Do you know that's what they're
4: saying? I thought you've been covering sports all your life. I have. Basketball, football. You even yes. love the Yankees and baseball. Yes. There's a winner and there's a loser. That's there's true. There's a reason we love sports. That's what sports has always been about. Sports that sometimes not always. Like boxing. Not boxing always with college
2: football, though, Booger. Now, that, that's my point. With college football, that's the lone exception, which is why I've complained about college football for years. Like, for example, when they came out with four teams, I lost it. I went apoplectic over the air because I was like, why isn't it eight teams? Why would you right. stop at four? You got power five conferences. And I literally said years ago, what if one of the teams goes undefeated in one of the power five conferences and they get left out? I literally said that. And everybody was like, uh,
4: that's not going to happen. Right. I, listen, I, I, I truly get that. Here's what I'm going to ask you, though, Stephen A. Okay. If you were in the room and they say, Stephen A, who are you putting in? Who are you going to be your four teams? Give me your four teams and why. It would have been the four teams
2: that are in there. Honestly. It would have been four. I'm not leaving because I think that the SEC conference is so superior. You can't tell me that Georgia and Alabama ain't one of the top four teams in the nation. And so because so why are we
4: playing then? Because I can, because you can make that same argument back in August. So why are we playing the games then? Because uh-uh. I can tell you right now okay, yeah, it's 9 months from now, 9 months from now, I can tell you Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State and probably two other teams are going to be four to five best. So why play the
2: game? Well, listen. Well, here's why why you play the game. Number one, because mistakes happen. Number two, because let's say, for example, hypothetically, there was no SEC championship game. And Georgia and Alabama had just played in a regular season game, and Georgia lost that game. Guess what? You still pick Georgia because Georgia was 29-0 over the last two and a half years in the two-time reigning defending and and, and, uh, national champions. The problem with Georgia was that Georgia was neither – I mean, you didn't win your conference. You didn't win – you know, your conference championship. So I'm not – you don't have a. You don't have an undefeated record and you're not the SEC champion. I couldn't put you in there, but I can't leave the SEC out when that's the number one conference. I'm looking at two teams that can
4: make an argument that they're the best in the nation. I got to pick at least one of them. I hear you. This year – and this is coming from somebody who played in the SEC and has covered it – the SEC was down this year. As a matter of fact, the ACC, which got left out, was ahead from the standpoint – they beat the SEC – I want to say, 6-4 to in in head-to-head games. I believe so. And so I can make an argument that the ACC was stronger this year. So traditionally, you're right. The SEC has been dominant for a long time, not this season. And I I think when you factor in all those things, like we can go round and round, but when you factor in all those things, I just feel like a Power 5 institution, Florida State, we're not talking about just any institution. Florida State got chips on the wall. Right. If you go all the way back to Bobby Bowden, like Florida State is notable. This is not... UCL or somebody like Florida Hell, State. Jimbo Fisher brought a national title there. Absolutely. No no question with Jameis Winston. So to, to leave them out based on style points, based on what 13 people would feel, what happened in the room was just wrong. And I, and, and I felt like yesterday on the show, I needed to voice that because they didn't have a voice on there, number one. And number two, it doesn't matter if it was Florida State. Take the school out. It could have been Winston-Salem State. It could have been South Carolina. It, it, it doesn't matter. If, if you earn something... On the playing field, basketball, football, whatever, and somebody, in my opinion, wrongly takes it away mm-hmm. from you. The voiceless need a voice. Two questions, and I, and I was definitely going to be there.
2: Two questions before I let you get on out of here. Number one, if TCU hadn't gotten stomped, sixty-five to seven, in last year's national championship game, do yeah. you think this happens to Florida State this year?
4: Um, probably
2: not. I don't know that for sure, but probably not. Question number two, and I threw this out there. This might—I mean, you might not ever speak to me again once I say this to you, booger. I was on national television this morning. You know what I said? What's that? Yo, man. If primetime Deion Sanders was the coach at Florida State, which is where he wanted to go, which is where he starred as a player, and they were undefeated with him as the coach, I think they would have went in. I think they would have went in. Now, Norville has done a phenomenal job. He has proven to be a sensational coach. No shade thrown on him whatsoever. But style points in the sport of college football has religiously mattered over the years. And I think that if primetime Deion Sanders was the coach at that university, it would have happened. What are your thoughts about that?
4: I may agree with you because if you look at what they did, who's the coach of Alabama? Only the GOAT, Nick Saban. That's right. And to your point, Nick Saban carries some cash, yeah. I guarantee you, those people in the room are saying, "Man, can we leave Saban out for the second can straight year?" Can we leave year. Alabama out? And so, even though Dion doesn't have the chips on the wall that Nick Saban does, he does have that same cash shape from the standpoint of style points and entertainment. So, yeah, I can go along with that. Mm-hmm. You going to be all right, man? I mean, I'm just here because this is your brother. I'm just checking that you're going to be all right That
2: that that Florida State's going through what they're going through. Are you going to be all right, you know, because we got a college football playoffs coming up in in, in a few weeks. You going to be okay when you got to critique
4: those games? Stephen A., hey, I'm going to be all right. If, if you can lose 20 pounds and, and, and get a six-pack, I'm going to be all right with this, with this college football playoff.
2: Oh, I ain't got the six-pack yet, but I have lost 35. <laughs> I haven't thought 35, but, but I'm still trying to get the six-pack. I'm still trying to get the six-pack, uh, you know what I'm saying? I got that loose skin. I got to work out, too. You know what I'm saying? I got to work out.
4: Seriously, though, man, by the way, listen, it, it's it's one of the things that all men, especially black men, as we get older, man, we need to be in better shape and not yeah. just sit around and collect guts because we want to eat a lot, so... I'm proud of you for doing that, man. I I, I noticed you've been talking about it. I saw you unveil your jacket and <laughs> shirt nice and European cut. I like that.
2: I'm trying, I'm trying. And by the way, as much as I love you, stop lying. Can't let you get away with lying to the American public. You know good and damn well you don't wear no Sears suits. Okay, you know better than that. You know good and damn well you got you got some Tom Ford or some other stuff going on. Ain't no damn suit from Sears. Stop that.
4: Listen, stop I, I, that. I, I'm I'm trying to draw an analogy. You, you got to paint a picture vividly okay. for people when they when, when they're listening.
2: <laughs> I love you, bro. Appreciate you, my man. Thanks so much. Always. Anytime. See Take later. care, buddy. All right, the one and only Boogum Faller right here, joining yours truly. You're right here on the Stephen A. Smith Show. When we return, your calls. Coming up, plus, I speak to the one and only Robin Thede, star of the holiday film Candy Cane Lane. Stay right there. Don't touch that dial. It's Stephen A. in the house. You know better. My guest is a five-time Emmy-nominated executive producer, writer, actress, comedian, and television host known for the critically acclaimed HBO sketch comedy series A Black Lady Sketch Show. Her latest project is the star-studded holiday film Candy Cane Lane Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the Stephen A. Smith Show the very, very talented Miss Robin Thede. How are you, Robin? How's hey, everything going?
5: Hey, everything is great. And I'm a six-time Emmy nominee. It,
2: excuse, <laughs> excuse me? Excuse, you get to, you need to get on your peeps because they didn't tell me that. I'm sorry. Six-time it's Emmy nominee. It's new.
5: It's for these new delayed Emmys that are <laughs> happening in January. So it's fresh. How
2: are you feeling right now? I mean, I, when you st- like you just brought up six-time Emmy, Emmy Emmy nominations, Emmy nominations. Talk about that for a second in terms of how you're looking at yourself and where you are at right now at this particular moment in time in your career.
5: Oh wow! You know what? It's 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 really amazing. I've been so lucky. Uh, a black lady schedule four seasons. The whole show has sixteen Emmy nominations, three wins. We're up for three more in January. It's just been a huge blessing. Not that awards are everything. But as Black people, we know that, you know, we don't always get recognized right. in, in these big award shows. So for me, that that's a mark that we've appealed to a worldwide audience, and people can watch us across the globe. And so to be able to bring Black women to the forefront in that way for so many seasons has just been the joy of my life.
2: I'm going to get back to that because that's a subject I definitely wanted to tackle with you, so I'm very, very glad that you're here to talk about that. But let me transition for a moment to Candy Cane Lane. Tell us about yeah. this, what this project is all about. Obviously, December 1st is when it's coming out. Everybody's going to be able to see it. Talk to me about that for a second. I
5: I'm. I mean, listen, Eddie Murphy, okay? Yes. That's all you need to like Eddie, Eddie Murphy doing his first legit comedy uh, for Christmas. Uh, Tracy Ellis Ross, Nick Offerman, Chris Redd, Jillian Bell, the cast DC Youngfly, Daniel Pennard from Ghosts, like all these amazing, amazing comedians that director Reggie Hudlin brought together uh, to, to create this really, really sweet but... Action filled and exciting Christmas movie that I think families are going to enjoy. But even if you don't have kids, like it's it's such a fun ride. And I think the the um, energy between Reggie and Eddie, you know, they they're reunited for the first time since they did Boomerang together. Yeah, that's right. It's just it's so palpable on screen. So we got to have a really great time. I get to be animated in the movie with Chris Redd and Nick Offerman, and we play characters who get trapped as Christmas ornaments by this evil elf played by Jillian Bell. And it's just really, really fun. It feels fresh. It feels like a new holiday class.
2: You know, I'm interested in knowing, you know, because anytime you talk about comedy, you're talking about laughter, you're talking about putting smiles on people's faces and things of that nature, we know the times that we're living in and we see how divisive and so crazy things have gotten in our society as a whole how important is comedy in today's day so, and age yeah. compared, compared to what the level of importance it may have once had?
5: You know what I think comedy's always been important. You go back to Moms Mabley and, and being disruptive and showing what black women can do. You you go through, uh, you know, uh, Richard Pryor, Flip Wilson, Whoopi Goldberg, and 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 then up through. In Living Color, Kim Williams, and, and, and all these incredible Black women who have really signposted our progression in the business. And I think, you know, for me, Black women in particular have just shown me how, how much we can take any sort of pain and make it funny or just silly things that make them funny, right, without, without um, diminishing ourselves. And I think that's what the real power is. Um, for people today who are building on the shoulders of all those great comedians. But I think comedy in general, right, whether it's Black women, Black men, white people, whatever, I think um, comedy in general is so critical as long as we know how to laugh at ourselves, you know? I think there's so much, like, just, like, people being mean, right? Not only in person, but online and all of that. Like, the levity of comedy, I think, is always really fun. And even if it's not the type of comedy you know, you're down with, there's always something for everybody. So it's really important to be able to laugh at ourselves and let loose and everything that I make, I really just try to make things that people can like, just switch their brain off for like a half hour and not your brain, but like your stress. You know, you can switch your stress off. You switch your brain off if you want to. Right. Uh, (laughs) That's (laughs) right, do whatever it takes, right? I I tell you this, the the thing that bothers me is
2: that I'm like, usually with comedy in the past, nothing was off limits. You could laugh at anything and anybody. It was indiscriminate. It wasn't discriminatory against anybody. It didn't pigeonhole anybody, anything like that. No one was safe from comedians, which I thought was a very, very good thing, a very great thing, to show you that no matter who you are, you can be laughed at, you can be laughed with, et cetera, et cetera. Now in this day and age, the comedians that I know on a personal level and beyond, they talk about how times have changed and it's such a damn shame because you have to be scared of the content that you actually... Actually, put out there to make sure it's something that's going to be stomached and received by the viewing public. Do you find that to be more challenging now than it was years ago?
5: I don't because I don't care. Uh, <laughs>
2: Talk about. I love that answer. Keep going.
5: For me, for me. Well, first of all, I try to make comedy that doesn't punch down, but that doesn't mean that we don't like do anything that's not edgy. I mean, I had a show on HBO for four years. Like right. we definitely push the boundaries, but. Nobody really came for us like we were hurting anyone. I think as long as your intentions... You know what? Here's the thing. If your joke is good enough, you can say anything. And I know that the best comedians know this. You know? And I think that... I'm not scared because I I believe in, you know, being able to write a great joke. Mm -hmm. And if somebody is offended at the end of the day... uh, You know, that's going to happen regardless, even if you don't do a controversial sort of subject or joke. So I think it's okay. I think, by and large, people still really enjoy comedy and people still really need it. And uh, there's some things that just aren't funny anymore to audiences. That's true. Right. But I think that there are things that are funny anew, you know, that wouldn't have been funny 20 years ago. And comedy goes in these ways. There were people saying this decades ago as well that, you know, I mean, George Carlin used to say it. Right. That people didn't want to hear what he had to say. He's one of the greatest comedians of all time. So I, I, I think it all comes in waves. I don't really listen to that so much. I feel like if your joke is good, you can do anything. How do you? And manage- I just try not to punch down and be mean. I got, that's
2: just not I, I got you. I got you.
5: How how do you
2: maintain your comedic genius? Because when I think about it, it's like you know, some people are like listen. They walk in the streets. They're paying attention to the things that people are saying, the things that people are complaining about, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And some people just have stuff that's circulating in their head, and they just put it out there, and folks find find a way to be receptive to it. How do you believe or what do you believe the ingredients to your success is when it comes to being an actual comedic writer?
5: I think for me as a comedian and as a writer, I just try to make things funny that are relatable to everybody. Um, I try to find the things that's like, oh, my God, yes, that did happen to me. I can't believe she said it in that way or that they did that sketch about that thing. So I think as long as you can make it relatable and people people love to see themselves comedy, right? Mm-hmm. If you make it too too far out there, too weird, you're only going to have a small audience. But I think over the years what I've tried to do is just make people feel seen with the comedy and and, and make them feel smart. Make them feel like, oh yeah, okay, mm-hmm. I, I've been in that situation. I'm not that person. Uh, but at the end of the day, if it makes me laugh, I'm going to put it on the show and see what, uh, how it goes. And That's I think right. the same with and Kay- Lane, we got to improvise so much with Eddie and Tracy and Nick and Chris and all the actors. Like That was what was so dope. Is like we took this real family situation and these you know kind of uh very grounded characters but doing really silly things mm. right and just make the jokes relatable. Yeah,
2: you know, I I I want to transition to you on a personal level from this standpoint. If I remember correctly according to my research, your mama is an Iowa state representative, is that true? Is that true? Yeah, she re-
5: she retired last year after 14 years, okay. seven terms in the in the state house wow. of Iowa. Yeah. First black woman from her district, she was incredible Passed historic legislation about marriage equality, a bunch of stuff. She was amazing.
2: And your dad was is a retired teacher, is that correct? Yeah.
5: Teacher, principal, all the above. He worked on my mom's campaign, and he was all very, they're both still very politically active. Okay.
2: And I think, got, The reason I'm asking is because I'm saying, OK, yes. I, because first of all, if you're in politics, would you are politically active? You're always politically active. You never stop. That's what I've learned. You never yeah. stop. But I will say yeah. this to you. I will say this to you. So the, the Iowa State representative, that was your mama, the retired teacher, that's your daddy. And uh, we, 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 the, we the comedian in you, how did that happen? Usually when you I have know, parents right. in those positions, they're like, girl, I don't want to hear anything about jokes. This is serious. We need you to do this. That's what they usually, that's
5: what parents usually would do. Did that happen to you? Absolutely. Absolutely. My parents were like, please, go get a real degree. Like, don't try to just do comedy. And- you know, end up doing something, you know, horrible for money. Uh, so yeah, I went to Northwestern, I got a degree of broadcast journalism, and then I ended up using that on fake, uh, late night comedy shows, so right. it, it worked out.
2: <laughs> and not only that, you were also a radio personality, you were an entertainment correspondent, if I remember correctly, these all, yeah. that's right, I'm trying to do my research, girl, I'm trying to do my research, yeah. okay, but, but, it's so, 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 I'm
5: done at all, honey, I'm not at all.
2: And I'm, so, so what I'm asking is, is that considering the opportunities that were clearly out there for you. Why didn't you stick with one of those things? I mean, it's one could argue you're pretty much doing it all right now. But why that transition?
5: That was funny. I was always doing comedy. I've been doing comedy since I was 13. And I went through Second City in Chicago. The only reason why I was even on radio or doing entertainment correspondent stuff was because they were the writer's strike in 2007, 2008. Wow, wow. And so I fell back on that degree and got, got a real job.
2: Here we go. U-
5: uh, but no, I was always doing comedy. I was just trying to make my way through that strike, and you know we've been through another one recently. And I, I thank God I didn't have to get a second job. But uh, yeah, so no, that degree helped me when I needed it most. For
2: 2015, sure. first African American woman to be a head writer for a late night talk show with Larry Wilmore. Um, that 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 obviously is historic in in its own light. When you think about that and and re- and being recognized for that, what does that make you feel like?
5: I have a lot of firsts, um, and I think that was my first big one, um, but, you know, first Black woman to do a sketch comedy show, first Black woman to nominate and win, you know, our first Black woman director or win an Emmy for comedy variety, like, all these firsts have kind of followed, um, my career, and I always say it's bittersweet for me. You know, it's it's a badge of honor, I guess, in some ways for me, but it's a badge of shame for the industry. Mm. You know, like, it shouldn't have taken that long for these things. I was only the fourth Black woman to ever have a late-night talk show. Like, that's just wild to me, coming to think of all the, you know, other sorts of people that have done this. So I think, for me, it's all about leaving a legacy where people have opportunities because I did the things I did. And that that's what makes me happy. and That's what I love about doing the projects that I've been able... Been so lucky to do mm-hmm. um, is that it's not just about me. You know, we get to bring all these amazing people with us, be it a black lady sketch show, Lane, or anything else I'm working
2: on. You know, I'm listening to you right now, and I remember I had to sub for Jimmy Kimmel one night. Me, myself, Stephen A., crazy as I can be. I, I actually it. had to sub for Jimmy Kimmel one night. I can't tell you. I was sweating bullets. I had to use the bathroom about five times before I went out on stage. No, I you was killed n- it. I was nervous as hell. I ain't gonna lie to you, Rob. I was nervous as hell. But I'm listening to you, and I'm saying to myself, excuse me, we've seen we've seen late night you see Gobert and, and, and Kimmel and Fallon and all of these guys and, and Seth Myers and all of these folks we once had Arsenio Hall we saw what Larry Mo- Larry Wilmore could do obviously Trevor Noah did a sensational job on, 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 on you know on Comedy Central what about a black woman doing late night television Robin have you ever thought about that? I had a late night show called The Rundown
5: with Robin <laughs> <beating> on <laughs> BET it was right. critically acclaimed we yeah. did well um, before I did uh, Black Lady Show, And then you've got Amber Ruffin, you had D-Way. Like, there's more coming. And I think that we got to keep that door open for sure. We definitely need that voice in late night. And I hope that there are many, many more behind us. Because Whoopi, Monique, Wanda, they laid a path for us. And we definitely have to keep that open because it's just, I feel like when you have the same opinion in late night, you know, the same types of opinions, it just gets boring, right? I want to see what other people have to say. I love watching you. You know, and I think, you know, you're doing such a vital service in, in everything that you do. And it's critical. It's critical because there's no voice like yours. There's no voice like mine. There's no voice like so many incredible women out there. So yeah, I think that definitely needs to continue.
2: And this is the thing: I certainly wasn't implying that you haven't done it. I was talking about now, oh considering <laughs> what has transpired, what, what's yeah. going on right now, and I think now more than ever before, those diverse voices, particularly in late night, I'm not view- viewing it as just late night, Robin. I'm look- I'm viewing it as it opening the floodgates to create an abundance of other opportunities throughout the day and throughout the industry for a plethora of African Americans in this industry. I don't think anything could pull it off better than late night in my estimation. To that you say what?
5: Absolutely, I agree with you. It's such a big platform, right? It's a huge platform. And to be able to be yourself in that space as a black woman is really dope. Like to be able to come out there and not be over noted, or, or to have to fill some sort of role or quota or whatever, but to just show up as who you authentically are and say, yeah, like, this happened in the news and this is my take on it, you're always going to get a fresher perspective that way. And I, well, you mentioned Arsenio, and that just, like, melts my oh. heart. He's just my favorite. And Absolutely. Like, just think about what he did for black people in general. Yes. Uh, in comedy, but in late night, was just unbelievable. It really
2: was. And not only that, and listen, I've I've often said this, I don't think anybody should be more grateful to Arsenio Hall than the hip-hop community because the hip-hop community wasn't on Late Night until he brought hip-hop to mainstream. I mean, he did so much for so many of us, but especially for the hip hop industry. He doesn't get yeah. nearly as much as much credit as he Mm-mm. so richly deserves, which is, and, and you know, one of his best friends in the world is the one and only Eddie Murphy, who you're working on Candy Cane Lane yeah. with now. And, and I'll transition it to Eddie by saying this, probably the greatest comedian of all time we think about the richard priors of the world we think about martin lawrence because i'm a huge huge martin lawrence fan Mm -hmm. and the list goes on and on about a plethora uh, of black folks male and female who've done phenomenal work but everybody finds themselves bowing down to the great eddie murphy what is it like working on this project with him i know you spoke about that earlier but to really highlight and zero in on him and his level of greatness what is it that makes him so special
5: I've been watching this man his whole career, ever since I was way too little to see his stuff. And i blown away. You know he's gonna be funny. And he's hilarious in this movie. And there are just moments when you see that Eddie grin, you hear that laugh, you see the, I mean, just the quickness of his improv. And we got to improvise a lot together. So much of what we did I think I originally had, like, six lines in this script, and now I'm all the way through the movie, like, <laughs> because we ended up improvising so much. He wanted us there live on set, even though we are playing these little ornaments, to work with him. He's so giving. And the thing that I think blew me away was just his kindness. He's so kind and so giving. And I'm like, if I'm Eddie Murphy... I wouldn't talk to nobody. I mean, like Eddie <laughs> <laughs> but he was—he was the most giving, kind. Like, and when we would improvise with him, he would laugh. We would break him, like I, you know, break him meaning make him laugh, and you know, yeah. bust up his character or whatever. And I just—I I, that will always sit with me as a as a badge of pride. Like, I just to, to be that giving. There are so many comedians who aren't as big as Eddie Murphy who like just won't laugh when you're performing with them because they don't wanna give anyone else a laugh, right? Mm -hmm. But this man is not like that at all. He's so giving, and I've known Tracy forever. She's She's phenomenal. She's always been that same way. Robin,
2: can I confess something to you? Can I confess something to you? I interviewed Anthony Anderson. That's one of my boys. That's my brother right there, right? And I'm interviewing him before Blackish comes out. And I'm saying privately to him, I have no doubt it's gonna be a fantastic show. I have my concerns because of the title. The fact that it's called Blackish, are they going to give you the shine you deserve? Are you going to be marginalized? Are they going to say no? This is not for us. Kenya Burris and the crew. I know what they. Could, I know what y'all can do. But are they going to give it to y'all? And I got to tell you, as a huge, huge Martin Lawrence fan, huge fan. I loved him and, and, and Tisha Campbell and, and Tashina yeah. Arnold. and them, they were phenomenal. I still watch episodes to this very day. Same. I said to myself. I can't imagine anybody being as good as Martin and Gina. And then I saw oh. Anthony Anderson with Tracee Ellis Ross, and I said, "They don't pull this off. They pull yeah. this off." I mean, am yes. I wrong in feeling that way? How do you feel about that?
5: No, I think they're this generation's Martin and Gina for sure, and no. they, in, in their own way, right, in their own way. But the thing about Tracee is
2: she's phenomenal.
5: Tracy's been doing this. That's
2: right. Girlfriend. She's
5: Girlfriends. been doing this for decades. Girlfriend.
2: That's right. Yeah, 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 Your boy used to watch it, Robin. I used to watch
5: it. I mean, we all did, but the mainstream was still like, "Oh, who's this?" Yeah. Or "Oh, she's Diane Ross's daughter." It's like, no, 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 no. Give this real comedian our props,
0: like. That's right.
5: And Anthony will tell you, like, if she couldn't hold her own, that show wouldn't be what it was. That's right. And she was such the heart and soul of that show, and is of this movie as well. I mean, Eddie talks about their chemistry together and how. I mean, it's just, there are these beautiful moments. I'm always like so annoyed in movies when the wife is just like a nag or something. <laughs>
0: right.
5: Yeah. and I mean, the writer Kelly Unger is amazing, but Tracy creates this wife of Eddie's who's not only a comedic uh, peer, but she's also warm and loving. And it's such a beautiful black family on screen. Mm-hmm. And I just, th- she really anchors the warmth of the movie. But also so much of the comedy. And I'm just so impressed with her. And and I think, you know, that's a compliment to Eddie, too, in the environment he creates on set for everybody to be their best.
2: Candy Cane Lane, in the end of the day, what are you hoping this is going to accomplish? For you personally this, and for all yeah. of your contemporaries?
5: Well, I, I want this to be a new holiday classic. I want this to be a movie that everybody, you know, how I watch you know, Trading Places and Die Hard and all (laughs) all
2: that
5: at Christmas. I want people to watch this with their families that way. Or how we watch Home Alone? Like, Mm -hmm. for me, this is our black Home Alone. Like, we get to, like, you know, have the... And the kids, the kids in the movie are so good! Mm -hmm. Uh, So I'm just excited. I hope people enjoy it with their families. And what it can do for me, I mean, look, it's already allowed me to spend a few months with some of my greatest comedy heroes and... Um, I'm already rich, uh, so I'm good. <laughs> but, uh... <laughs> That's right. Say it. I ain't mad at you.
2: I mean, say it if it's true. Say it if it's true. Sure. Why not?
5: I hope, I hope to be. I hope that you'll see me in more movies soon. And uh, now that we have closed one chapter of, of my on-camera stuff, I'm mm-hmm. looking forward to the other, to the next. And I'm developing a new show called Disengagement with HBO. So there's a lot more coming down the line.
2: Well, listen, consider this a home for you. Anytime you want to talk, I'm here for you. I really, really appreciate your time. You're absolutely fabulous. I'm looking forward to Candy Cane Lane on Amazon Prime. they be December 1st. I can't wait. And I'm just so proud of you and what you're doing. Keep up the great work and all the best to you, okay? You take care of yourself.
5: Thank you. It's so good to talk to
2: you. All right, take care. The one and only Robin TV. Love it. Right here on Stephen A. Smith show. Back with more in a minute. Thanks again to their lovely Robin Thede, Candy Cane Lane. I can't wait to see it myself. They didn't have a chance to watch it this weekend, but I'm going to watch it. I'm going to watch it because damn it's got Eddie Murphy in there. And Tracy Ellis Ross, two of my favorites, no doubt about that. Time to move on to the calls before we get on out of here for the day. Let's go right to it. Let's go to Dante in Ocean City, New Jersey. You're live with Stephen A. What's up, Dante?
3: Hey, Stephen A. Thanks for having me on. Good to be on. What's up? Um, nothing much. So... Here's my question for you. Um, I'm interested in this uh, woman, and the thing is, at my age, I don't think it's acceptable to slide in her DMs. But hold on, hold on, stop, 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 stop. stop, stop. How old are you? How old am
2: I? How old are you, man?
3: You heard the question. No, I wasn't sure if you if you asked her or my age. No, your your age. How old are you? I'm t- I'm 27. You're
2: 27, and you think you're a little bit too old to slide into a DMs?
3: Yeah, I just think it's a little immature. But I don't know. Based on your answer just now, I guess it's not too old. I guess I'm not too old. No,
2: it's it's immaturity depends on what you say once you go there. But if you say hello, how you doing? I'm such and such. I just wanted to reach out and say hello. What's wrong with that?
3: Okay. Hey, no, that's so. That was my. that's my next question for you. So I feel like that's my only avenue to really contact this girl because I, ke- I don't think it's the right way of going about it, going to where she works. She works at a restaurant.
2: Okay, okay, okay. let me stop, let me stop, let me stop. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, usually our end calls much, much quicker than this, but you really, really need my assistance. I could tell. So I'm going to yeah. so, help you yeah. out.
3: First of all, do you know her? So... That's a yes and no question, We, bro. we know, we, we don't, listen, we don't know each other personally, but we know we exist. We follow each other on social media and stuff like that. We have mutual friends. But Her and I have never had a, uh, a real conversation, per se. Okay, so, but if you reached out to her, she'd know who you are?
2: Yes, sir. Okay, so why don't you just DM her and say, look, I'm reaching out because I didn't have any other way to reach you. But I really would like to meet up with you and talk with you. Would you mind if we go out for a drink sometime?
3: Excellent. Okay, so that's, that was my next question to you. Can I just go out and be blunt and just say it like that because I've got my body saying, That's oh, not oh, blunt. It, it,
2: it, it, my that? man, you ain't telling her, look, man, I want to jump your bones. I want I, I want, to get down. You ain't say that. You said, I'd love to get together with you for a drink just to talk to you. Is that okay? There's nothing that's offensive or off-kilter about that. Sumatra, am I right about that? I'm right about that. I don't think I'm right about that. There's no problem. Okay? So that's all. You know, just don't be offensive. You, you got a woman?
3: Uh, actually, I just broke up with my woman. Okay, uh, so you
2: just broke up with your woman because because if you had a woman but you was doing that, that would be different.
3: You understand know what I'm saying? That would be no, different. We, but if you don't have no, a woman... we broke up six months ago. Broke up yeah, six, six months, months ago. ago? Yes, sir. So you ain't had a woman in six months? Well, not that. I mean, that way, no. Nah, I, I, I'll lie. It's just, it's only been once in six months, but you Once know. Once in six months. So, so yeah. oh, oh. I know. one woman I know. in six
2: months or one moment in six months?
3: No, no. It's only been the one time since
2: I broke up with my ex, so. Listen to you what I'm, I'm asking. A- my brother, you're going to get a dial What's tone because you're annoying me now. i ask, I'm, I'm asking you direct <laughs> questions. Yes, sir. Is it one moment in six months or one woman in six months?
3: No, one woman. Got it. You all right. Mm -hmm. Okay.
2: You, you all right. Okay. You are right. all right. Listen, DM her reach out, DM her, tell her this was the only way you knew to get in touch with her. You usually would not do this, but it's the only way to get in touch with her. And as a result, since you knew y'all had mutual friends, acquaintances, et cetera, et cetera, you thought it would be okay. Would you mind if we got together for a drink and to talk? That's all I have appreciate to that. Thank you very much, Take Stephen it a. easy, my man. Thank you so much. Enrique in Arizona. You're live, Stephen A. What's up, Enrique? Hey, Stephen A. How
4: are you doing? I'm good. To talk to me, bro. What's up? So I have two questions. One's going to be really quick. Um, uh, the World Cup is coming up, 2026. Yep. I was just wondering, uh, are you planning on going to a game? Are you planning to Probably watch not. it? Probably um, not. No? Probably not. Okay. My next question would be, uh, I have a girlfriend in... She has this friend and i have a sneaky uh suspicions about her not not like towards my girlfriend type of thing but like um i think she's a bad influence how would i address that
2: okay so you have a girlfriend but she has yeah. a friend who you believe is has bad intentions like i feel like
4: i wouldn't call it i want to say she's jealous of our relationship like, like she probably is. I mean, she
2: she probably is because she had her time with her girl, and then you came along. And if you handling business, your girl would want to be with you more than she'd want to be with her. And as a result, it got it gets in the way of their closeness with one another, which they had prior to your arrival. So the jealousy slash envy is not completely off off kilter here.
4: Yeah, I would um. What do you think I should do? Should I address well, it to that friend? Or no. Or should I address no, it to... No, no.
2: She has your... Her friend has no obligation to you whatsoever. Your woman, okay. your woman, that's her friend. What you do is you express your feelings to your woman. If your woman has no problem with the role her friend is playing in her life while she's involved with you, there's nothing you can do about that. And if you yeah, bring it to right. her attention and she decides that she does agree with you and it's problematic, it's still for her to handle, not for you to handle. One of the weakest-ass things a man could do is to try to dictate and pick a woman's friends for her. There is nothing more insecure than that. Now, you don't have to like her friends. You could tell her, I ain't messing with your friends. I'm not feeling them. I I don't want anything to do with them. But don't pick.
4: I told her, I I was like, uh, I like... I was like, I like all of your friends, but this particular one gives me that, okay. a bad okay, okay, okay. That's all you could
2: do. That's all you could do. Okay. You can't do anything else because here's what you don't want: you don't want any woman coming along in your life trying to dictate who your friends are. Yeah, don't do it. And not only that, when you a dude and you try to control who a woman's friends are, you look weak. And one of yeah. the things you don't want to do as a man is look weak. 100%. All right, man. Go at it. Thank you. Take care. Take it easy, man. Happy hour. Zach from St. Croix. What's up, my brother? How you doing? How's it going, Stephen A.? What's going on? Talk to me, my man. So I got two questions here. First of all, first of all, um, you said you, you, you in St. Croix or you from St. Croix?
3: I, I'm from St. Croix. Probably. Okay,
2: yeah. okay. Because you know cool. how West Indian Man, you know? I'm a West Indian man. You know, my family from St. Thomas. Really? Oh, St. Croix, Wisconsin. My bad.
3: I was thinking West Indies. My uh,
2: bad. Go ahead.
3: You're good. You're good. Okay. So, two questions here. Uh, One, what chance do you give the Minnesota Timberwolves to win the NBA championship? Zero. 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 Do you think they can get to... uh, um, Late, late season run I think they can get I think people. the Minnesota
2: Timberwolves can get to the conference Western Conference Semifinals. I think Anthony Edwards is a superstar in the making. I think Carl Anthony Towns can ball, but his durability is a question mark. I don't believe that the coexistence of Rudy Gobert and Carl Anthony Towns works against anybody but really Denver. I don't believe it. I don't see it. And even against Denver, it was only good enough to win you one game in a seven-game series. Best of five. They took you out in five. So I'm not, I don't That's believe cute. that. Minnesota's on the come up. They got a star in Anthony Edwards you don't want to r- get rid of. He is something special. But outside of that, I don't think that you have enough
3: horses, no. Um, and then the second question would be, do you think in the near future Anthony Edwards could win MVP? Yes.
2: I believe how, in him that how much. How long do you think? I believe that Anthony Edwards is one of the top three young lions on the come up. I, I, I believe Anthony Edwards is a star. Let me tell you why I love Anthony Edwards so much. It's not just his game, it's his attitude. He's got the kind of attitude that you want in a superstar. He wants to play all the time. He ain't scared of competition. And him being the marquee, he's the kind of talent that would embrace and accept and gravitate towards being the marquee. See, we've got stars. Like, for example, you got a superstar like Kawhi Leonard, right? Kawhi Leonard don't want no yep. part. Kawhi Leonard don't want no part about being a superstar. Kawhi Leonard want to play ball. He want to get your money. And he want to go home. Anthony Edwards is the one that cares about seeing his name up like marquee. He wants the big stage. He wants people walking through the turnstiles just to watch him. He got that kind of attitude. That's what I love about Anthony Edwards and that's because you can trust that he's going to exhaust every means and measure to be the superstar that he has the potential to be. You can trust him. That's why I like him. Absolutely. All right? Perfect. Appreciate you, and I watch your show every day and keep doing the great work. Keep doing, keep coming with it. Thank you, Sam. I mean, you know, take care, man. Sam in Fort Worth, Texas, you're live with Stephen A. Talk to me, Sam. Sam, are you there? Hey, Stephen A. How are you? What's up, man? How are you, man? Happy holidays.
3: I'm great. Thank you. Happy holidays to you as yes, well. The dinner
2: work. Thank you, man. Go ahead. What's up?
3: So, uh, I was uh scrolling through Twitter the other day and I saw that you believe Florida State was snubbed out of the playoffs because of a uh, TCU's loss to Georgia in the National Championship. Now, I said, I said
2: it played a role. It wasn't it wasn't the reason. I said it was one of the reasons in other words while they point and blame at the college football playoff committee and all of this other stuff i'm saying blame TCU last year too throw them into the equation when you get stomped 65 to 7 in the national championship game or, you know any kind of potential hiccup is something that the committee is going to be averse to that was my point
3: okay well in order to reach the national championship TCU had to be michigan. a really good michigan team yes. right
2: well a lot of people had so questions did, about how, michigan about wondering the way, how this would
3: make Florida State less compelling it's they could be capable of have done because
2: because because achieving the
3: same thing as TCU.
2: Well, listen, my answer to you be is simple. They don't have Jordan Travis. And without Jordan Travis, you don't have the appeal that you once had and the allure that you once had. You may still go out there and win games. You were undefeated after all. You did beat Florida and, and, and obviously Louisville after all, and you're to be commended for all of that. But make no mistake about it, they take into account the allure, the appeal. That's why one of the stipulations when they're judging you, as Kirk Herbstreet, my colleague at ESPN, pointed out all day yesterday on social media, one of the criterias is player or coach's availability and the kind of impact the committee thinks that could potentially have. And so if you remember in 2014, when JT Barrett goes down for Ohio State, Cardell Jones comes up in there, plays lights out, they beat Wisconsin 59 to nothing, go into the playoffs, and then ultimately win the national championship. If in Florida State's case, once Jordan Travis goes down, they struggle to score offensively against Florida and Louisville. Their defense was the story, and no doubt they still ended up undefeated. But the appeal that they had compared to an Alabama and a Texas – in their eyes, was, 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 was leaving something to be desired. And that's what they're thinking was, and I understand it.
3: Fair enough, Stephen A. Well, I appreciate your answer and your time. Uh, happy holidays. Happy holidays, family.
2: man. Take care. To you and yours Thanks. as well, Sam. Thank you so much. Patrick, you're the last caller, live from Atlanta, Georgia. What's up, Patrick? How are you?
0: Hey, Stephen A. I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm doing all right, man. Thank you for calling. Happy holidays. What's up? Thank you to you as well. Um, I have a bit of a two-part question okay. for you. My first uh, first part of the question is, how have you enjoyed the NBA in-season tournament so far this year? And the second well, part hold of my on, question... hold, on, hold, on, hold on for oh. your
2: second question. Let's stay with the first question first. Patrick, I gotta admit to you, I've enjoyed it much more than I thought. Um, I don't think it should have been necessary. I think cats getting paid the money that they get paid. I think it's inexcusable to work harder in Summer League than you do for All-Star Weekend in some games during the regular season, to be quite honest with you. Although I know they're pacing themselves. The flip side to it, however, is that that in-season tournament, that pot of money that's available to the winner, um, that was obviously a a nugget of incentive. But when I see the Lakers be 4-0 and then sees the tournament games. When I see Sacramento and Golden State go at it the other night when when, um, De'Aaron Fox uh, comes back and and, and he drops 40, and on top of it all, damn near 40, and on top of it all, they win by one point with Malik Monk throwing in that prayer uh, after driving into the lane and and, and, shooting that off-balance bank Mm -hmm. shot. I'm looking at the level of tenacity that they played with, how Golden State was really trying to win that game, how Sacramento was really trying to win that game. Now, personally, I would take out the point differential. They shouldn't have had to win by 12 or more points to be eligible for the tournament if you were Golden State, you know, stuff like that. But in terms of the fervor, and the desire to go out there and really, really show how much you can, how much you want this. I was really proud of the level of competition that I saw for the in-season tournament, and I got to give the players and the league credit for instituting it.
0: Well, you kind of touched on the second part of my question, which was gonna, which I was gonna ask: What changes would you like to see implemented as the in-season tournament isn't doesn't seem to be going anywhere anytime soon? So, what changes would you like? Get rid to of see the point differential.
5: Get
2: get 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 rid of having to win by a certain amount of points and stuff like that. Because what you don't want is you don't want a situation where, okay, like, for example, let's take that Golden State-Sacramento game, for example. Golden State had to win by 12 or more points, right? Now, Mm -hmm. Sacramento was down like six or whatever in the last minute or so and came back and won the game. But even if they had lost, but lost by two points, they still go into the tournament. See, it shouldn't have been, oh, my goodness, Golden State, well, you got to win by at least 12. No, you win or you lose. (laughs) You see what I'm saying? It's one or the other. It it shouldn't have been about the point. So they got to get rid of that, I believe. But outside of that, nah. And the other thing is, me personally, I would have liked to have seen it in February. Damn near would have liked it to to replace the All-Star game because they don't give any effort anyway. But I do understand now why they wanted it early because they didn't want to just concede the first two months of the season to the National Football League. They wanted to make sure to remind the world, look, we matter, too. We exist, too. Here we are, the mm-hmm. National Basketball Association. We're incredibly popular. One would argue that we're, 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 we're more popular than even the NFL in the digital world, all right, as opposed to the linear world. You can make those arguments, and because you could do that, I think that's something to take into consideration.
0: All righty, sir. Well, I really appreciate you taking my call today and All hope right. you have a happy holiday. Happy
2: holiday to you to you and yours. All the best to you, my man. Enjoy the new year. Thank you, sir. Yes, sir. Take care. Call back anytime. That's it for this edition, this latest edition of the Stephen A. Smith Show. Hope you enjoyed my interview with Robin Thede. I hope you enjoyed my interview with Booker McFarlane. Hope you enjoyed the calls. Hope you enjoyed my takes on college football and the playoff picture, the Eagles and the 49ers, and, of course, LeBron James getting in to it with Ime Udoka, the head coach for the Houston Rockets. There's always something to touch on, and you know if there's something to touch on, I'm definitely going to make sure that I do just that. So I wanted to thank you all for joining the show, and just to remind you all, I'll be back Wednesday, but I'll be coming at you from the road because I'll be in Las Vegas for the in-season NBA tournament. So you'll be catching me there, right? Until next time, take care of yourself, all right? Peace and love, and I'll see you all in a couple of days. Later. <laughs>